Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here we go. It's a Thursday, November 4th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. Flyers back at it tonight. Their first matchup against Metropolitan Division and state rival, the Pittsburgh Penguins. A little shine's been taken off of this game. Sidney Crosby has tested positive for COVID-19, is now in protocol. He's only played one game this year. Team went 3-2-2 two, and two without him. Came back for the one game they lost after 3-3-2. Three, three, and two. And he has tested positive for COVID-19. And according to Mike Sullivan, the head coach of the Penguins, is experiencing some mild symptoms. So he is now placed in the COVID-19 protocol list. Um, Like I mentioned, he's only played one game so far this season. So I'm sure he's uh, pretty frustrated. Penguins are dealing with this right now. Uh, They also have Brian Dumoulin mispracticed yesterday after testing positive for COVID-19. He's asymptomatic, apparently, and the Penguins are also missing Chad Ruedel and Marcus Pedersen, who also remain in NHL COVID-19 protocol and had mild symptoms. So best to those players. Uh, Flyers will take on the Pens, though, tonight without Sidney Crosby, without the aforementioned uh, Chad Ruedel. Marcus Pedersen, Brian Dumoulin, good opportunity for the Flyers to grab two important points in the standings in this busy month of November with a total of 14 games. They got off to a great start in that first game against the Arizona Coyotes. Wasn't a great game. First two periods, tight hockey game, but they won it in the third period with three goals, got the two points, and Carter Hart picked up his third career shutout. As a matter of fact, in this episode, we're going to take a look. We're going to grade the goaltending for the Flyers. We did the top two lines a couple of days ago. We're going to grade the goaltending in this episode and break down how the, the two goalies of Carter Hart and Martin Jones are doing so far this season. Needless to say, goaltending has not been an issue and that's a great sign. We're also going to get to some Twitter questions as well. Uh, but first and foremost, Flyers-Penguins tonight. These teams have played each other so many times, and even though there's no Crosby, there's no Malkin, uh, they're missing all of those players, and they're struggling out of the gate so far this season, sitting in the bottom spot in the Metropolitan Division with a record of 3-3-2. and It is still early, a lot of pride in that Penguin locker room, And this is an opportunity for the Flyers to grab two points that the Penguins don't get. Now, these are four-point games. And last year, they played these teams four or eight times, rather, in the Mass Mutual East. We saw a ton of the Penguins last year. Christian Jari, though, still playing much better this season than he did in the playoffs last year. But the Penguins threw eight games right now, sitting in that bottom spot. In that bottom spot. So the Penguins threw eight games, sitting in that bottom spot, tied with the Islanders who played one less game. Flyers up in that fourth spot in the division with 11 points and a record of 8-5-2-1. And, and a record of 5-2-1, 11 points, and they got the opportunity tonight to grab two more and get tied in the standings with the Washington Capitals. We'll see if they can get it done. But let's get to Twitter questions first, then we'll grade out the goaltenders. And I want to get to—I'm fascinated by some of these questions that came in uh, on Twitter for this episode. So um, we're going to plow through a few of these and some good ones, and we're going to start with at OC Stagger, Stagger Lee, my buddy, Ed Riddy, down the shore. Uh, he, he tweets in and says, ESPN ranked the Flyers in the late teens in their latest power rankings yesterday. He said, I'm a bit shocked. I think the Metro has five of the top 12 teams. He said, I understand that those lists are ridiculous. Do you think the Flyers are underrated or no one knows what to expect given the new players? Now, granted, I will admit that I don't check the power rankings, but since, uh, you know, Ed tweeted that in, I decided to check on it. And I, and I wanted to see where they were and what the criteria 
criteria was for how they came up with their rankings. And the article's here on ESPN.com, and it says, How we rank. A panel of ESPN hockey commentators, analysts, reporters, and editors rate teams against one another, taking into account game results, injuries, and upcoming schedule. And those results are tabulated to produce the list featured here. So it has what they were last week and what they are this week. Florida Panthers are number one. Carolina, number two. Can't argue with those. St. Louis Blues, number three. They were four the week prior. The Caps, number five. I'm still fine. Even Tampa, not off to a great start. A six, uh, a 0.611 points percentage. It's still Tampa, even without Kucherov. Good team. Edmonton, number six. I'm still fine. Calgary's off to a great start. They're there as well. Even the Rangers at eight. I'm fine with that. Colorado, a little bit of a shaky start. 500 start. But we know they're a good team. Same with the Islanders, who are number 10. Now, here's where I start to get into a little bit of an issue. If you're going to take into account, according to your criteria, from your reporters, commentators, analysts, and editors, taking into account game results, injuries, and upcoming schedule, then you have to, you have to be, you have to have a little bit of common sense. To have the Buffalo Sabres with a 6-11 points percentage at number 11 ahead of teams like the Boston Bruins, like the Vegas Golden Knights, like the Flyers, is a little ridiculous. Yeah, they're off to a good start. Good on them. But come on. That team is devoid of a ton of talent. They traded away Reinhardt. Eichel's not playing. That's one of the criteria. Injury. You don't even have Eichel. So, okay, I'll, I'll get past it. That's Buffalo. Then number 12. They have the New Jersey Devils. Dougie Hamilton just got hurt. Jack Hughes is going to be out for a while. Again, injury is part of this. And they have a winning percentage of .563, a points percentage. And their upcoming schedule, they face L.A., San Jose, and Florida. How the heck can they have them number 12? Boston Bruins are 13. That's about where I would have the Bruins. The Vegas Golden Knights are off to a sub-500 start. Okay, but they're a good team. They have a lot of talent, but they're also injured. Again, they're missing guys that they're missing Carlson, Pacioretty, and Stone. And one of your criteria is injuries. All right, the Pittsburgh Penguins at 15. Again, I know that COVID-19 for Sidney Crosby and Dumoulin and all those guys isn't an injury, but they're still without Evgeny Malkin. I mean, to have them at 15. Then you have the San Jose Sharks at 16. I'm stunned. I don't get it. That team can't defend their way out of a wet paper bag. The Winnipeg Jets at 17. Frankly, they should be higher. They're off to a 667 start, and you have them 17. Behind teams like San Jose and like the, the Buffalo Sabres and the New Jersey Devils. And then they have the Flyers at 18. They have a 688 points percentage. And they have Pittsburgh, who's missing everybody under the sun. And Washington, who's a good team this week. And they dropped them six places. So they had them at 12 last week, and then they dropped them. Ryan Ellis, still injured. Get it. Totally get it. Goaltending's been good. They don't have a lot of other injuries that they're dealing with here. I don't understand it. So, uh, Ed, I totally agree with you. If you're going by their criteria, it's ludicrous where they have them ranked. It's, it's absolutely ludicrous. But it's ESPN in hockey. They're trying to, you know— trying to get their feet under them again as far as covering the game because that's a horrible list. And again, it's power rankings. I shouldn't even get mad. Uh, John Morrison tweets in and says, does anyone know what the Ellis injury is? He said, seems very odd to go from day to day to what's the current projection? 
It's becoming a concern rather than a nuisance. Yeah, it started out as day-to-day, and as it kind of lingered on, Elaine Vigneault said more like week-to-week, and I think he meant that by saying last week as well, and now we're in a new week. Um, I don't know when he's going to be back. I don't know if they're just being overly cautious. He's not going on this trip to take on Pittsburgh and Washington. He didn't practice yesterday. Is there a concern? Absolutely. I mean, you, you made a big trade to acquire a top hand, uh, a top pairing, right side, right shot defenseman, and he's going to be a big part of it. You've gotten by with Justin Braun, but we all know that's not the long-term answer. That's, that's no offense to Justin Braun, um, but he's just not at that spot in his career. He's done great filling in, and Ivan Provorov has not been on the ice for a 5-on-5 goal all season, but you want Ryan Ellis there. You need Ryan Ellis there. You know, I, I getting tweets from people, did they trade for a lemon? Is Now we know why it didn't cost the Flyers anything uh, to get Ellis because he's damaged goods. Like I got a tweet from a guy who says, uh, Matt says, well, now I know why it only cost Patrick and Myers to get Ellis. Damaged goods. Well, from what I, I don't know what the exact injury is, John. Um, I, I suspect it's something like a groin that if it doesn't fully heal and you just keep exacerbating it, eventually you're going to be out for two, three months. So I think that that's, they're being cautious with it. They're taking it slow. They're winning. So it's not the end of the world that he's missing games. But that's speculation by me. I don't know that for sure. And am I concerned about it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but um, we'll see how this plays out. But but like these hot takes of you, you traded for damaged goods. He's a guy that's missed some games in his career. He's not the biggest guy, and he plays a physical style. That that will be a part of that part of it. He's got to be like an NFL running back and make a business decision sometimes to not be as physical to preserve your body a little bit. All right, let's go to uh, I think it's D I L at Philly D I Y. He says throughout AV's tenure in Philly, it seems like the other team is consistently out. This team is consistently outshot by its opponents, and at times by large margins. What is it about his system? that yields such shot differentials, or is it personnel? Um, it's a good question, but your assumption is wrong. And I will tell you why. And I'll back it up with numbers. Let's go back to AV's first year of 2019 and 20. Now they played 69 games that season in the regular season. The Flyers in that season, this may shock you, Philly DIY, the Flyers actually gave up the least amount of shots in the NHL that season. They averaged giving up 28.7 shots per game. The second best in the league was the Carolina Hurricanes at 29.3, Vegas Golden Knights at 29.3, and also that season, the Flyers averaged 31.4 shots per game, which in the NHL in 2019-20 was in the middle of the pack, 16th. So that's that year. Let's go back to last year. Maybe that's the reason why you would think that they gave they got outshot so drastically, and you do on occasion get outshot drastically. Last year, as dreadful as it was, the Flyers, twelfth in the NHL, the twelfth least amount of shots given up, under thirty again, twenty nine point seven. They only averaged twenty eight point seven last year. They played in their zone way too much, but t- uh, sorry, twenty nine point two shots per game last year in that miserable season. So they got outshot by about a shot a game. So let's look at this year. Maybe it's even as recent as this year that you're feeling that way, that the Flyers get outshot and significantly. This year, they are averaging, uh, they are giving up actually more shots this year. They're the, the eighth most shots in the league, 
33 shots per game, and they're only getting 29 shots per game. So that's eight games this year where they are being outshot. So four is the margin for this season. It's not a system thing, and I've talked about this a ton on here, that you can't look at shot totals. Shot totals don't matter. It's quality of shots that matters. And the Flyers have had much better structure this year, keeping the goaltenders clean, keeping stuff to the outside, and clear-sighted, and not east-west. So those aren't great scoring chances. You can throw those at a goalie all you want, and you're going to be in a good spot, because that's like going out in the backyard with your son or a buddy of yours and and tossing a baseball for a goalie. Clear-sighted shot, they're going to eat that up almost 99.9% of the time. So it's not about quantity, it's about quality. Now, there can, you can get to a, a tipping point where you just don't have enough, period. You're not going to get quality because you're not getting enough quantity. I, but, that, I mean, the line of demarcation there is probably 24. And I think it's interesting, too, because when you look at the teams that generate the most shots in the league, you know, some of them are not very good teams. The Los Angeles Kings. 35.8 shots per game. The Penguins are 3-3-2. Three, three and two. They are fourth in the NHL in shots. The, it, shots does not equal success. Boston's off to a bit of an uneven start. They're in the top 10. Vegas is off to a sub-500 start. They're in the top 10. So you got to look at it as quality more than quantity. Um, but I get maybe it's just the, the newness of what's going on this year that is giving you that impression. But in 2019-20... They gave up the least amount of shots in the league. And the year after, that miserable season, the 12th least amount of shots in the NHL. Steve Regener tweets in and says, Why is hockey the only sport where people care about the C? He goes, I couldn't tell you who the Phillies captain is. Do they even have one? Good question. I don't know. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I think the C has been glorified in hockey from years ago. And the C is more, it's important. It's an important role because there's a lot of media responsibilities that come with it. But leadership in team sports never comes from one person. It's not one person that's going to grab some other player in the locker room or call them out and that's going to make the, leadership is a group and it always has been in hockey. It's been purported to be one man because he wears that letter. But it's never been that. Even when in the 70s and 80s, it was never about one person. And every leader leads differently. And I know what you're talking about. I mean, the, the debate about Giroux and his captaincy. But have you ever heard reported conjecture, a former player, a player that's played with, a player that's played against, played at any point, have anything to say about Giroux's leadership? Never. And in this day and age, you would hear about it. He's a widely respected player in the league, and everybody that has played with him and everybody that is playing with him now, they've all respected his leadership abilities. It's never been questioned, on or off the record to me. And I, I ask a lot of people about those kind of things, and I've never heard one boo about it. Um, Tom Redden tweets, and he says, when Kevin Hayes is healthy and back in the lineup, who's going to replace, uh, who will replace, and what line will he center? Well, I mean, the, the conventional thinking is that he'll go right to the 2C with Derek Bers- or excuse me, with Joel Farabee and Cam Atkinson, and you move Derek Broussard down to 3C, and then you, you move Scott Lawton to the wing. I, I don't know if that's the way you do it right away, though. 
I think there's probably more a likelihood coming back from two surgeries now, uh, core surgeries for Kevin Hayes, that maybe you bring him in at 3C and you let him work his way back in with a little less responsibility and let him work it up to it. And when he's ready, you'll know. And then you move him to 2C and then you make those other decisions. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, He practiced with the team yesterday, which is obviously incredible news. So he could be on his way and uh, not too far off from getting back in the lineup here at some point, maybe before the end of this calendar month. We shall see. Um, Jason Waterfalls tweets in, is, is it time to start worrying about about that original trade concern regarding Ellis and his injury history with them already missing time with nagging injuries? Is this what we have to look forward to for the next several years? It's an impossible question for me to answer. I really don't know. I was asked that yesterday morning on the radio when I jumped on the John Kincaid show. Um, Jamie asked me, how many games will Ryan Ellis play this year? And I have no idea. <laughs> I really don't. I can't answer it. You don't know if a guy's going to take a puck to the face later in the year. But, look, he he's dealt with some injuries and battled through them. And he came back last year and performed really well after after he was dealing with his injury and came back and, and really helped that Predators team make the playoffs. But um, I'm not positive what this injury is. I think it's like a soft tissue injury where like a strained groin or something like that, um, which is nothing structural, and that's a good thing. But I don't know for sure. That's that's what my gut is telling me. So uh, I don't know what the next several years, I, I don't. There's risk, though, because he is a player that's got some history, and there is risk when you acquire a player that's got some history. But in this league, if you want to get better, you have to take some risk. And sometimes it'll bite you. I'm not saying this will. I hope he comes back and he plays, you know, the next 60 games, 70 games remaining, 72 actually, or or whatever's remaining, 74. We shall see. Um, So it's an impossible question for me to answer, but it's one uh, that I understand why people are asking. All right, let's get into the evaluation of the Flyers goaltenders because one of the big concerns coming in this year, well, the Flyers, ah, Carter Hart's no good. He's not going to be able to bounce back. He was overhyped. Once they got a book on him, they just go high glove, all that, right? Martin Jones, he's had a save percentage of 896 for three years in a row. He's washed up. He went to a cup final. He's been a bum ever I get it. But problem is, is that these two have been really good. And, you know, with Carter, you know, with the way he plays is all about precision and efficiency. He's such a fluid the way he moves on the ice is so fluid and effortless. I don't want to say it's like Carey Price, but it is like Carey Price. <laughs> uh, he emulates the way he attacks the game. And his and his style of play is not flashy. It doesn't look sometimes like it's that difficult. Or, well, I didn't make any really crazy saves. Well, he didn't get himself out of position. That's why. Like you see guys like Jonathan Quick back in the day or Marc-Andre Fleury flailing all over the place making these crazy acrobatic saves. Well, a lot of times that is born out of the fact that you overplayed a situation or you took too much ice and you had too much to travel. That's not Carter's game. Much more under control, much more beat the beat the pass on your skates, be there, be square, and make the save and absorb pucks and, and read plays properly. And he's done a great job of it. In the very beginning, I think he was just a tick not totally dialed in, but he's dialed in now. And I saw it in... The Calgary game, and I really saw it in the Arizona game. And I go back and I watch every save in slow motion, frame by frame, that, that he makes in games. 
and he is getting to his spot on his edges there, ready, and up, giving him lots of options for save selection and absorbing pucks. And a lot of times it looks like pucks are just hitting him. Why are they hitting him? Because he's in the right spot, and that's a great sign. That's the Carter Hart from two years ago. That's the Carter Hart who's not leaning or trying to cheat a pass to the back door. Flyers have also done a great job with the environment. They've cleaned it up. They've kept his area around his neck clear, letting him track pucks better, read plays better, and they're not allowing having those breakdowns where they're flooding the puck side, the strong side in the D zone, and leaving guys wide open on the back door. The structure has been much better. And I always talk about environment with goaltending. You are a product of that environment a lot of times. And Carter's environment last year was not good. Matter of fact, Martin Jones' environment the last three years in San Jose, one of the worst in the league. One of the worst. That team cannot defend at all. And their structure's horrific. And it leads to bad habits, overplaying situations, trying to do too much. And that's what kind of, in my opinion, eroded a lot of elements of Martin Jones' game. The concern for me going into this year was, that, hey, it was three years in a row. Is there a way to reset and get back to normal? I didn't know if that was possible, even coming back and working with Kim Dillaball, the Flyers goalie coach, who he knows from his early days with the Kings. Martin's come in, and they've moved him back in the net. They've moved him deeper into the net. Why? He's a big body. He's not one of those guys that's as efficient in movement and can move with the explosiveness like Carter Hart or like Flurry or like Qu- those guys. That's not his game. He's a guy that needs to get to his spots but can't have to travel a ton of real estate. And when you take more ice, you get out and get your heels outside the blue paint or your feet outside the crease, it's just further you have to travel on east-west plays. And for him, that distance has to be shortened. That doesn't suit his game. It's one of the things that Kim Dillaball saw in his game the last couple of years with San Jose. He was taking too much ice. He was being too aggressive. And he he's not a goaltender that's suited for that. So they wanted to bring him back, calm him down, improve his environment. And what you got out of it is only in two games, but two games, 2.01 goals against average. Uh, he's made 64 saves and a 941 save percentage. Not bad. Pretty darn good. And, the, and look, eye test. Watch the games. He made some really big saves, really big spots. I mean, he got the win over uh, uh, the Boston Bruins where it was tied going into the third period. And then against the Vancouver Canucks, he won a 2-1 squeaker. No margin for error. That's a tough game. And he played really well. And then Carter, his numbers on the season, six games played, a record of 3-2-1, a 2-3-3 goals against average, 180 saves, and a 9-28 save percentage, and a shutout. Got his third shutout of the year against the uh, Phoenix Coyotes, or Arizona Coyotes, I should say. And the goaltending so far, I won't give it an A+. I'll give it a solid A, though. Carter, even in one of the losses against Calgary, team wasn't great in that game. Carter, I thought, was excellent in that game. He battled in the Edmonton game against a really tough opponent. So really impressed so far with the goaltending. And uh, knock on wood that it continues. Flyers overall in the season, a 931 save percentage. I think last year was like an 890. A 931 save percentage, pretty darn good turnaround. In only eight games, yes, but a good start to the season for the Flyers goaltenders. All right, Flyers-Penguins tonight in Pittsburgh. No Crosby, no Dumoulin and others. 
But the Flyers look to grab two points against the Pens tonight at the PPG Paints Arena. We'll have a brand new episode of Flyers Daily tomorrow. We'll break down the Pens game, and uh, we'll have a Friday edition of Flyers Daily. Everybody, have a great Thursday, and we'll talk to you on tomorrow's brand new Flyers Daily.